Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network. This is where you'll find today's tennis discussions. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis lessons and its effects on life journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors, well, they might provide that roadmap for your journey. For the last five-plus years, I've been blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. These mentors that you've heard on our Thursday's broadcast included, well, usually monthly, we've been blessed to have either Dr. Alan Fox or Coach Chuck Reese on. And this month, being that I'm coming to the end of the uh, 2020 uh, season for my uh, broadcast, we're blessed to have both of them. We started the month off with Alan Fox and my last broadcast on uh, what Thursday the 29th of October will be with Chuck Reese. So I do thank the Almighty for sharing them with us. Other mentors sharing their knowledge on Thursdays have been people like Coach Ashley Hobson, uh, Bobby Ballas, Scott Enge, Dr. Bryce Young, Ed Crass, Johnny Angel, Nick Saviano, and today's uh, mentor, Scott, Coach Scott Williams, Energy Coach Linda LeClaire, and, of course, others have been on, too. Besides these coaches sharing their knowledge, you may have also heard other colleges or high school tennis coaches, or even we've had USTA, PTR, USPTA heads, as well as leaders from tennis and racket sports organizations. Because I do believe Dr. King, when he said our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each week you also heard me share my biased views on North America tennis and life. I would like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting the program on our network. And, of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is you can listen anytime you choose to any of the program on the Yellow Ball Network. The coach uh, yesterday, I don't know if you caught Coach uh, Chuck Reese's broadcast, uh, outstanding broadcast. Uh, I actually went out and uh, uh, bought uh, a book right after uh, the broadcast. Well, that's a lie. I didn't go out. Uh, my wife went to Amazon and got it. Uh, I don't get to go out much for books no more, and I enjoy bookstores, but uh, I usually just get to the library uh, more. But uh, okay, I think I see our mentor on today, uh, Scott Williams. But before I introduce him, let me uh, just give you my commentary for October fifteenth. Love is a powerful tool in coaching, but I believe it's often misunderstood. On more than one occasion, I've been told that I expect much from my students. And admittedly, 
must agree with those who have reached that conclusion. As a believer in Aristotle, who states that habits are needed to counteract other habits, and as a Christian who believes that we are all born in Christ's image, I agree with Aristotle's belief that when good is chosen for its own sake, it is beautiful. As a Christian who attended parochial schools in my early years, I was exposed to the values of our country founding fathers forming us under Judeo-Christian values and that were stated in the Declaration of Independence and those freedoms are protected by our Constitution. As I have discussed in previous commentaries, those nuns set a fire on those ethical values of sports and developing life skills. And admit, admittedly, an evangelistic culture in my later coaching. For some of you, it might seem like I cannot get through a commentary without discussing time. But when you're trying to develop a team, it takes time to build a positive pattern, identifying the fears of some, learning what they want from life, determining what skills can be introduced, naturally dependent upon their age and skill level of the players. And now after that, we can determine what positive procedures we can use daily. While proud of those banners in the gym, for many of us, creating a higher standard of awareness for team opportunities and boosting team confidence to fairly compete with others in the sport they have chosen and in life are the rewards we are looking for, and sometimes we don't see them till years later. But when we do, it's just a great feeling. No, love doesn't mean making it easier for individuals, nor the team, or the coach. But yes, developing athletic and competitive skills are important, but time is needed to develop that mindset of believing that they can grow and succeed in the journey ahead. Well, that's my view. It's your advantage. I do see our mentor on today. I've been blessed to know Scott Williams for quite a few years. Scott, are you there? Scott, are you there? Hang on one second. Let me check and see if I have him here. Can you hear me tonight? Oh, okay. Yes, I can hear you now. It uh, t- took me a little while to get there. I thought I had you on before, but evidently I didn't. How are you well, today, Well, I'm happy Scott? to be on now. I'm doing wonderful. Just finished practicing uh, with my son, Jaden. And um, How is he? he's getting ready for a big tournament this weekend at uh, Palm Beach Atlantic. So uh, uh-huh. great to be out there on the courts. God, I haven't seen him in quite a while. I understand he's as tall as you are now. He's, um, John, I just keep reminding him of how many years I've just been very, very nice to him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he deserves to be nice to you. You're blessed to have a wonderful daughter and uh, son. 
And maybe he'll carry you to uh, another championship. Who knows? Uh, your daughter carried <laughs> you to a father-daughter uh, uh, championship for Florida. Maybe he'll do the same. He he already has, John. He already has. It's been amazing. And he is carrying his dad. Um, we got to play up at the Lake Kane Tennis Center up there with Alex. And uh, it was just amazing. And Alex is doing his first prize money carrying his dad, John. Good, good. So that was a lot of well, fun. It, yeah, we uh, won the finals up there, which was great. Well, the, the audience, uh, for those of you that know, uh, might not know, uh, Scott is, uh, by some people, considered the coach of many uh, celebrities and uh, uh, pros around the world. Uh, but we've been blessed in Florida when he uh, returned here that uh, uh, his coaching, he's done coaching with a couple of schools here. And I've been blessed to have him as one of our officers when I was uh, running the Florida High School Tennis Coaches Association. And I can tell you, uh, not just knowing about tennis and knowing the coaching skills, but willing to share them, and he has shared them uh, at uh, the, when we conducted coaches' workshops uh, uh, for the Florida Athletic Coaches Association. And actually, uh, yeah, we, we've done a couple of them. Uh, I had an idea of uh, touring around the uh, state for those people that couldn't afford those spend a weekend in the schools that couldn't afford to send their coaches there. We did one down in your place one year, too, if I remember. No, Scott? That's right. We sure did, right here in Boca Raton, and that was a great one. We had Bill yeah. Morris there and um, Brian Schleifer from American Heritage, who's uh, been on the broadcast before. And just, um, yeah, we had some amazing coaches there and uh, authors. Fantastic. Yeah, we did. It was uh, it was special, and uh, Scott is a special coach. And I think one of the things when you get older, like me, uh, you realize that you have to give back to uh, where you where you came from. And uh, when you get start reaching my age, it's uh, you think of it more. But when you're a young man like uh, Scott, and you've been doing that, uh, that's uh, these are the rewards. A lot of times I talk to you about mentoring. Uh, a month or so ago in one of my commentaries, I talked about the failure that I consider my own in the uh, FHS TCA and not developing enough uh, the mentors. And we're going to end uh, at the end of this uh, month with Coach Chuck Reese because I think he has a three-tier mentoring uh, program that is important. And um, quite frankly, uh, I, I've had some people a little resistance on my commentary, a lot of people that did a lot of uh, excellent work, and I'm proud of what we uh, accomplished there, but said, you know, you made it sound like a failure. No, it was my failure. Nobody else's failures. We did a lot of great things, but I don't see those things continuing now, and that's my fault because I didn't mentor enough people there. But 
Uh, Scott was one of those people that whenever we needed something, uh, he was a mentor that I could count on. And I think a lot of times when we think of mentoring, we think of it's always somebody older that's the mentor, and that's not, that's not the case. It's somebody that you can talk freely to and share ideas and uh, and they're willing to tell you when they disagree with you without getting upset. And you're willing to accept uh, what they are, uh, advice they're giving you. And uh, I've been blessed uh, that I've been associated with Scott for uh, many years. And uh, uh, I just uh, thank you for being on here. Let me, one of the things, let me ask you, well, let's, I suppose we probably uh, should get to our uh, title today, is Developing a Competitive but Loving Heart. Uh, why don't we go right into that there, and what's, what do you see that as? Well, per usual, John, I'm very, very grateful for all the work that you have put in into the game of tennis, and um Thank you for those kind words. And really, um, I think a lot of times as, as directors and pros and coaches that uh, we do put in tireless hours, as you have done, in so many different areas of the game. But the roots have run very, very deep, John. And I can tell you for all the coaches, players, parents, and families that have um, met you over the years, that you have enriched their lives greatly, mine included and my family's. So I'm always very forever grateful to you and Bobby for that. And, um, you know, I look forward to doing more things with you in the years to come. Well, thank you. That would be a blessing. I don't deserve that, but I will definitely uh, accept it. Uh, I guess the almighty can't provide too many blessings. We just don't appreciate them enough. Well, I definitely feel like after COVID, we appreciate everything much more, or at least we should. <laughs> True. True. Yeah. yeah. Like I say, so let's tonight, get into yeah. what you see about, uh, talk about developing a competitive but uh, loving heart. Uh, I, I do, I am a little concerned about some of our youth today, and I don't, I don't blame them. I blame you know, we're not getting enough across to them of what in our sport, tennis or whatever sport you're in, that it's really just a part of the journey we're going to go through with life. That is correct. That is correct, John. And um, I think, you know, right now um, in our country, um, we're seeing a lot of pain. We're seeing a lot of anger. And um, mm-hmm. I think it's more important now than ever to share with children um, and with families how to have a competitive but loving heart. And uh, what really started me moving on this subject was this year's U.S. Open. This year's U.S. Yes. Open, for me, I'd never seen a U.S. Open like that, where I felt that the solitude of tennis had been breached. And at first, I was angry about it. I was angry. How did the USTA let this happen? How did the WTA let this happen? How did this happen? How is it that 
actually very um, emotional, passionate political issues and not and cultural issues had literally put themselves in the front row of the U.S. Open. I didn't understand, nor did I expect it. I just wanted to watch the U.S. Open and enjoy the matches. But you know, where there's pain and confusion and anger, there can be great healing and there can be movement and growth. And that's, of course, what we know has to happen throughout our country and through the world. And as Americans, we have to lead the world. So after I saw the picture of Osaka with her boyfriend, who had wore the defund the police shirt throughout the tournament, who was on her time under her great accomplishment, giving the finger, not once, but twice. I spoke to one of my students and he said, coach, uh, I think that's okay. I said, what do you mean? It's okay. I said, aren't you aware that the majority of uh, viewers and the people who pay for those seats in the front row around the tournament are generally in their 60s and older? Do you think that they think that's okay? A rapper flipping off the camera as our U.S. Open champion holds a trophy? He goes, Coach, there were more clicks on that picture than probably the women's final. I go... Yeah, it's true. Probably true. I go, I go. you, you really think that's the case? By the way, I was talking to uh, my student, Joey Brander who in his, his own right is just an amazing young man. And uh, at some point I'd love, I know we're running out of time, John, but we got to get him on one of your shows because you'd really enjoy him. Um, he heads up First Serve, which is just an amazing uh, company. And and he, he's always had a great heart. and was a captain of mine at uh, St. Andrews and an outstanding state champion. So I thought about it and I realized he was 100% right that Osaka's boyfriend was drawing other boys and girls towards tennis that didn't even play tennis. They were like, well, what's that picture about, man? What's going on? And that is an opportunity for us, all of us in the game of tennis, to use our amazing platform to make change. And that explained to me what the USC was doing and WK was doing. And I started to look at it a little differently. Like, wow, they're stepping up using their worldwide stage to make a statement for a greater good, to help. So as often happens, I thought, well, what am I meant to do with this? Where am I meant to put all this? And I realized just three years ago, I was traveling around the state doing diversity camps for the USTA. I thought, that's a strange name, diversity. What does that mean? People from all backgrounds. Mm -hmm. But what kind of camp is a diversity camp? Well, it's for ages 12 to 18. UTRs of five, and we've had them up to 12, including Logan Zapp, who, of course, became player of the year two years ago here in the state of Florida. Um, And we'd come together for a day of training from nine to five, lunch, T-shirt, getting to work with great coaches, which, John, I'm hoping you're going to join us. And I realized that those camps have to start again. And that's exactly 
cautiously, safely, what we're going to do in this upcoming year, 2021. Um, And we're going to use the platform to talk to anybody who signs up for the day um, and to teach them what? How to have a loving but competitive heart, not just in the tennis court, but in life. So let's start well, off I with. I think that's, that's yeah. so important and it's, it's so needed. And I know when I talked to you a few weeks ago, but then I wanted you on again before I went off the air for the season. Uh, I hadn't watched any sports, and you know, I'm a sports fanatic. Uh, but uh, talking to you and realizing that me divorcing myself from watching uh, sports wasn't accomplishing anything. So, uh, uh, like I said, uh, you know, money works in strange ways. And like you've helped me often in the past, you helped me uh, again. And uh, because uh, I said, well, let me get off my butt and stop feeling sorry for it. I guess I realized I was no different than other people. I want to watch a sport and I want to watch it turn to escape from things and to uh, watch the enjoyment of the talent that's out there and the glory of uh, winning and the uh, defeat when it happens. But there's also the other license, how the people act and everything. And uh, I just love the fact that you picked up that challenge right away. And the almighty working within you, and uh, <laughs> let's go on what you're planning to do there. So, John, it was actually three days of great struggle um, because I thought, boy, why am I, you know, what flag am I flying here? Why am I immersing myself in tennis? If this is what, you know, the direction, no, no, I stopped. And as I said, I realized, oh, no, 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 I'm meant to be here. I'm meant to help. I'm meant to make a difference. So let's define what a competitive but loving heart is not. And we've had two amazing ambassadors on the men's side of the game for a number of years. And we know who they are, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. Yep. Those men have been absolutely fantastic examples of what a competitive but loving heart is. And on the court, um, Roger Federer has said that one emotion that he'll never use to fuel his game is the emotion of anger or revenge. He said those are limiting emotions and they're not to be used. Well, you'll have some players who disagree, but I will say that those players have been in the past. Yeah. And in today's game, things have evolved just too, too high of a level. <laughs> Way too high of a level. So the first misconception is that anger, um, us against them, um, revenge, you beat me and now my family and I are going to beat you. Limiting emotions. Short-term burn, but high high potential to burn out. 
high potential to burn out on those emotions. Another misconception that is commonly said by parents, unknowingly, my son or daughter lacks a killer instinct. Excuse me? When I hear a parent say that, I go, did you just say your son or daughter lacks a killer instinct? I go, that's really a good thing. Because the only person who needs a killer instinct is someone who's planning on killing. And we're right. not out here to kill anything. No, no, I mean the ball coach. You're taking it too literally. I go, no, 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 no. You're, you're using a term that your son or daughter shouldn't have to begin with. True. So it's not a life or death sport. On that note, about six years ago, I want to put this out for all the coaches. Two things that I want to share. Six years ago, I had a coach working with me. His father committed suicide. God. He was devastated. He was in his mid-40s, the son, who was working with me. Wife, two children, and his father felt he didn't want to put the world or his, you know, his wife through dealing with his older age. So he decided, I'll take, I'll take the other team's option and kill myself. Do you know that three days after that happened, I had a coach come out on the court? All right, kids, we're going to line up. We're going to do some suicides. That word has to be erased from our game as well. That That was erased from my practices quite a while ago, too, and it was after you, uh, God, it might have been down in Boca at that, but I remember years ago uh, you talking about uh, the term and what it means, and I erased it from my vocabulary, too. Yeah, no, not part of a competitive heart, a loving and competitive heart at all. It's not included there. Uh-uh. Doesn't line up with some of the other things I'll talk about. And then finally, just FYI for my coaching brothers and sisters out there, eliminate the butts up game. Get rid of it. Today that is now um, – that has cost one coach I know his job at a university for playing that game. And it's, um, it's considered a form of almost hazing slash bullying. Oh, I know a lot of coaches are going to throw up their arms right now and go, that's one of my favorite games, coach. And you're talking to the guy right now who's speaking who used to have three varieties of it. We had the Russian version. We had the South America. I mean, we had a lot of fun versions of it. And, and it, it did appear like the children were liking it. But no, no. Sending someone home with a tattoo, a Wilson tattoo or a pen tattoo on their rear didn't go over well. So anyway, developing a competitive but loving heart. There are three main things that you have to keep in mind to develop a competitive but loving heart. The first is wisdom. The second is knowledge and the third is strength. You're going to need all three of those components to develop a competitive but loving heart. A number of years ago in 1998, I was talking um, uh, with Tommy 
Haas over in Paris, and it was emphasizing the importance of starting a foundation. Um, wisdom, according to my university professor in my philosophy class a number of years ago at Eastern Washington University, said that wisdom is knowing which pleasures to seek. Rather humanistic. What was that humanistic. Uh, wisdom is knowing which pleasures to seek. Mm-hmm. Knowing the difference between um, right and wrong and good and evil. So when King Solomon was speaking with God and God said, well, what can I grant you? And he goes, wisdom. Wisdom is a key component. And how do we gain wisdom? Well, we gain wisdom through experience. That's one way. Mm-hmm. Well, how can you accelerate wisdom? I'm young, and, but I want to accelerate. I, I don't necessarily want to go up this steep learning curve. How can I gain wisdom? Well, God's given us an instruction book. And that instruction book is the Bible. And every answer to any question you'll ever have, that Ziri or Google cannot tell you, is in there. That's wisdom. That's where you gain it. Mm -hmm. Second is knowledge. So that's, John, something that you provided to me. And you've helped provide knowledge for parents, players, and coaches by having them on your show, by having them, you know, attend your um, symposiums um, through providing the coaching exam. So as the listeners are, you know, attending school or reading a book, we should all be trying to gain knowledge. And, of course, the more knowledge we can gain about the game, of tennis, the better. It's going to help us. It's a stimulant. And then finally, strength. We need strength to do what? To persevere. Because it's hard. It's hard, and it requires discipline on a daily basis to seek wisdom and knowledge and to grow stronger in both those areas. So those are really the three main things that I think of for developing a competitive but loving heart. Very good. Well, you sure can't go wrong with them. And, uh, you know, to go back where you started with emotions and uh, you talk a lot and I I do about, uh, you know, this is part of life's journey we go through. And you think of, what's happening today and most of, you know, we don't get into a discussion about what you hear the term, you know, with the virus, the science, the science, well, every channel you turn on, the science is different. And we see emotions taking over the conversation instead of, you know, talking the logic to, and what are the things that can work and not work? And it goes back to um, 
and I know people say I beat a dead horse where it takes time, but also uh, listening. I, I see more people that when they, are you listening? Yes, they're, they're listening for a chance to interrupt you to get their point across instead of listening to what somebody has to say. So I'm going to let you go on because I just enjoy listening to you, Scott. So, Well, um, you know, when developing a competitive but loving heart, you see the, the effects um, and you experience a completely different um, experience when you're training, uh, when you're competing, um, when you're failing. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a, a very good example. Um, as I mentioned, my son and I have been playing doubles together now for a couple of years. And we um, were playing in this final two weekends ago, maybe three now, up in Lake Kane. And I knew that he was deflated after losing in the finals of the backdrop of this men's open tournament. And I said, you know what? I, in my mind and in my heart, I wanted to display to him how you could have this competitive but loving heart. So um, the first thing we did is we came out and, of course, introduced ourselves. And um, then we asked our opponents questions. Now, I get it. In a professional tournament, you're not there to... <laughs> You already know who your opponent is most likely, and your team has analyzed who they are. Same thing in college. So um, there's different degrees of expressing your love for the process, for the game, for your opponents. Um, But I said I wanted to demonstrate it to my son. So, you know, as we get started, and trust me, John, the first two service games, I didn't win a point on my serve. (laughs) And he looks (laughs) around at me. Oh, yeah, John. No, no, this is fun. I mean, my window, my sun's setting. It's all good. I understand. But it was a real reality. Like, wow, these guys are pulling the trigger. And, um, but that, you know, tennis is, it, it changes quickly. So Jane looks at me and goes, Dad, you know, what are you doing? And I go, son. <laughs> I've been watching you play the last three days. I haven't haven't competed now since last February. So give Dad a chance to get into it a little bit. But I said, listen, just just be calm. You know, um, let's enjoy it. Let's get out there. And so um, he helps us to to break. He hits a beautiful backhand up the line. We're going back and forth. Um, Finally, we get in a position that now we're up 5-4 and I get to serve. I serve out the game without losing a point. Okay. Oh, how crazy is that? But throughout the match, when we sat down on changeovers, um, you know, we, we would have a light conversation with our opponent. Hey, great shot. Nice hold there. Um, and the overall effect for both my son and I, and I think for our opponents was that we all relaxed and that we all played much better. And the best part was, John, as much as winning the match was great and and being at Lake King where almost 26 years previously I'd stood with a young Greg Hill and Tommy Haas, that's where they won their first prize money. 
<laughs> and Gene and I got handed a whopping 50 bucks. The best part was none of that. It was afterwards sitting and talking with our opponents and realizing that, you know, the stronger player was um, a head coach up in Orlando um, of a high school team, girls and boys program, which we've now said we're going to set up a match with one another. And the other boy, James age, you know, was going through some of the same trials and things at school, you know, with academics and tennis and, and you know what? We all became friends and that's a huge benefit. And, and that's what you see. I really feel with uh, Roger and Nadal um, is at the end of the day. Yeah. They each want to, you know, beat each other on the court. Nadal, what he projects on the court? Wow. Amazing. And how about that finals we just witnessed? Just, uh, (laughs) he is amazing. When you can be number one player in the world, and I believe he must have been 37 and 0. Sorry, he had the incident where he hit the ball, and he was defaulted. But to be number one player in the world and on court be undefeated as far as against opponents and roll into the final 16 years straight, 16 finals. And then even as number one in the world, you're not immune from the sting of this game. 6-0, 6-2, 6-4. Lights out. Go home. What? That in itself describes the mountain that even the number one player in the world is climbing all the time. And that's life. That's why our game is really replicates life, I feel, the best of any sport. And also the fact that within the game that we love, the importance of having your own stamp on the game, which Nadal clearly does, the uh, French Open, and Djokovic clearly does at the Australian Open. Mm -hmm. But some fascinating takeaways there. But at the end of the match, competitive but loving hearts, their comments towards one another, respectful. Um, An attitude of gratitude. You know, fantastic to hear. And, And these are really truly um, qualities and signs of having that competitive but loving heart for your opponent, for the game, for the process. It really sets you apart. Well, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, I I agree. And and I think that's, I felt the same thing, you know, not just, uh, you know, with all sports that happen in baseball and basketball and tennis. It's the game itself, and there's no shortcut in the game. And, and I, I I just become fearful at times. The lessons of the game, you know, there's something to learn. Even when you get old like me, there's something you learn. And I've learned probably as much from my students as I've given my students but when you try to sit there and and we have to market and you know marketing is important no two ways about it but the game itself provides so many life lessons 
I think we've got to sit there and, you know, make sure people understand who these people are. I mean, the lessons that Federer and Nadal, they've never, Federer, the two opposites, when he was a kid, he would throw and break rackets, and he had a coach that wouldn't take, you know, said no more rackets. And Nadal yeah. never broke a racket. And his outlook at it, you know, the, the amount of people that, uh, you know, can't afford a racket. Who am I to go and break a racket? I mean, the sport itself just provides so many lessons. And to look for a short-term solution to make it better, I, I, I mean, that's it really for about a week, it destroyed me. And, uh, you know, thank God the, uh, you know, we talked again because, uh, you know, who the heck am I that I'm going to escape this and not watch the sport? You know, this is something that, you know, I owe so much to, and now I'm just going to sit there and walk away from it? No, no, no. That's right. That's exactly right. Yep, well, you know, the saying is, of course, winners never quit and quitters never win. And mm-hmm. um, we are, again, we are positioned in this game um, to, and, and have been granted the wisdom and the knowledge from the number of years um, that we've invested in this game to make a difference in the lives of all the players and all the listeners that we possibly can. We're meant to do it, John. And uh, it was also of interest because um, when COVID first hit, I thought to myself, uh, my goodness, how can I serve now? Right? All the tennis courts are closed. I just saw one facility. I saw the school courts closed. I saw my development courts closed. Finally, my uh, favorite park in Florida, Okahili Park, up here in West Palm, um, just an amazing facility. It finally closed, and I'm like, now what? <laughs> what's, what's my purpose? What am I meant to do, Lord? Please tell me. Show me. Reveal it. So um, what was quite amazing is that in the process of um, getting my uh, bus certification for school, I had take an additional exam, which gave me a CDL license, which meant that in, you know, the worst case scenario, at least I could help deliver goods and products to families and to people if needed. And I thought, man, that's an interesting you know, direction. It wasn't what I'd chosen, but I thought, this is, this was, appears like this has maybe become a reality if things don't change soon. But no, through the entire process, um, as I've shared before, it's always good to, um, we're not testing God, because we're, we're reminded in the book of Proverbs that man has plans, but God ultimately directs our steps, Proverbs 16, verse 9. Um, but at times, there's nothing wrong with us saying, oh boy, I'd sure like to plan this. Of course we're meant to plan things. Um, we're, we're meant to be organized and um, 
you know, working towards goals to fulfill our purpose. But even if that means sometimes stepping outside of our purpose, um, as I was doing, and, and getting educated in some other areas uh, to see how I could help serve. But you know what? Without fail, um, God always brings us back to what our purpose is. Mm-hmm. And that's what's truly amazing. So you and I, and many of our listen, listeners, have been purposed to, to do exactly what we're doing right now. And um, it doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean um, it's something that you can compare to others because you're purposed to do what you do. And, of course, you've been doing it for a number of years, and I've been doing it for a number of years, and all the other speakers have as well. But that's where the power is. The power to make a difference in other people's lives. So, and you never know when power. you're going to be needed to do that. It just, uh, you know, you just never know when it's going to happen. Uh, I know in, in, in my case, years ago when I was on the USTA Board of Directors, I didn't want to, people to think that, um, you know, I was using that. So I went and I doubled all my uh, cost of taking lessons and everything, and I was by far the highest of any of the pros around. But it was because I didn't want them to think I was using the USTA. Later on, as I aged and I started doing some business coaching and people that were looking for hitting partners and I was no longer to be a hitting partner uh, with them, you know, it kept me living. I appreciate that. And then when the virus started, I had people that I had coached uh, and with business before, they called me up and they wanted to apply for uh, uh, small business administration loans and, you know, what was working. And uh, the Almighty sat there and allowed me to go and help these people and uh, sit there and also make a, a fairly good uh, living off of that there. So it's I do believe the Almighty has a plan for us. Uh, I never knew what it was, but I'm talking to Ashley. I think you're going to be calling this train, I assume, this coming year, moving around. What is this going to be, Match Point Impact? Is that what you're going to call it? And and then you know that I would, uh, you know, I am available, and as you go up and down the state, you know you got a place to stay if uh, you don't need me. Well, you know, of interest, John, and yes, you're 100% correct. It is called Match Point Impact. It is a 501c3. Um, we are going to kick off our first event in January, um, towards the end of January, and I'm finalizing that with Robert Gomez down at the Biltmore Hotel. Um, I think the training will go from 9 to 5, and uh, we will have, you know, coaches um, on each court. We will have the social distancing. Um, We are going to, again, uh, have students put out on the courts based on their UTR, but they will not be locked into their court based on UTR. They'll have the opportunity to move up and down 
courts. And of course, all our instructors will be rotating as well. So everyone will get a chance to work with, um, you know, really a great group of coaches from that region. Um, and then we'll be doing uh, one with Ashley, which we're going to coordinate over in Bradenton, one up here in Boca Raton. We're going to, during the Galway Beach um, Championships, we'll be doing a fundraiser out um, here in West Palm Beach to uh, help raise some funds. Uh, each camp is going to cost us about $2,500. So um, we will charge an entrance an entry fee of $100 for the day, which will include lunch, T-shirt, and training. Um, but we know we're going to have students applying that can't afford it. And so that's why we're going to be doing the fundraiser. Um, on our board, we have uh, Tommy Haas, and, uh, which is fantastic. And uh, he just called me the other night to say he would like to, as he's doing his exhibition at the National Training Center in December, do a diversity camp on December 3rd, but uh, that's something I need to now get get moving on and see if that's meant to be or not, um, because it comes up quick. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we'll we'll be having some special guests coming in, and uh, we'll also have Brett Hobden, who is um, now doing all the stats for Djokovic, um, which is quite exciting. Um, so we get uh, another fantastic pro there. And then I call him the mayor of Orlando's on our board, uh, Greg Hill. And uh, Greg and I have been together since he was 13, and um, he's now a very successful entrepreneur and businessman. But um, he loves the game, and uh, he was former number one doubles player in the world in the years. Beautiful. So that's well, the beginning of our board, yep. Well, I know you're going to be, uh, I, I know it's going to be successful because everything you do is successful. And if I could be of any help, let me know. And I'm just thinking outside the box. I always tell people, you know, it's not a, I got your broadcast. I'm not going to uh, throw something at you at the last minute. But I'm thinking, and that's always, that's always dangerous. But I'm thinking at the end of this month, I'm going off the air and maybe I ought to get you and uh, J.P. Weber together. And uh, mm-hmm. I know you're busy, but maybe uh, for uh, the four-month period or something until uh, I decide uh, or the Almighty decides what uh, what I should go and if I should get back to doing this or something, uh, maybe uh, Thursdays or another day, you think about doing a broadcast so we can keep this in front of, uh, uh, you know, at least the state. But well, sorry, sorry, no, sorry no, that you at the last minute. Oh, no, but no, no. Give us some thought. <laughs> give us some thought. Let me, uh, no, no. you know, see if I get a hold of J.P. Weber. But, uh, you know, the marketing yeah. is important. I just get depressed with it when it's you're trying to replace the game of baseball, or the game of basketball, or the game of tennis. The, the 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 sports is just so great in themselves. You know, you, you don't need to overdo it, and you don't need to take outside and you know quick fixes. There's no quick fixes in developing a program. There's no quick fix in developing a life. 
and uh, and I think uh, I just hate to see all of a sudden sports get into we're going to quick fix this. Uh, we're going to sit there and start telling you society what to do. And I don't know. So that's just my own bias. I warn everybody at the beginning of the broadcast, you're going to get my biased views. And uh, uh, the one thing about not being in the Marine Corps no more or not being in law enforcement, I don't have to claim I'm apolitical and I have no bias. <laughs> I do have biases. <laughs> well, no, I, I think that's, um, you know, John, one of the things I think is very refreshing about you is that uh, you're very transparent and you are who you are. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I recently, and I know you and I had talked about that earlier in preparation for the show, but I love the statement that I heard recently, which was, well, what do you stand for? What do you believe? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so often, you know, we want to keep our cards close to our chest and we don't want to get into confrontation. And, not that you need to. Again, having a competitive but loving heart. But as you mentioned at the opening of the show, you said, you know what, we can discuss things and we can disagree on things and still be friends. That's um, right. We can, we can compete in a tennis match. Um, we can win a match. We can lose a match. But you know what, we respect one another, still be friends. <laughs> and that's the, the common denominator um, of life in tennis. And it's just fantastic. And I feel like the sooner that players realize that, the the sooner the game, the um, the, the uh, anxiety that accompanies performing is reduced. Um, mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden it can be very empowering. So um, I definitely feel, as we've expressed in the past, it's not coincidences, but godsidences. And uh, I felt even today that nudge from the spirit when you and I were talking that I do feel um, that the show needs to continue. And uh, I would love to help you do that. And I would need uh, some mentoring here, but uh, I would love to continue the show if um, you know there is indeed uh, an interest for the show to continue. I'd be honored to do that, John. Well, let me talk to JP, and um, you know, and then I'd be glad to come on uh, occasionally. I know talking to Chuck Reese, who I admire uh, immensely, and he said you can't leave. And and uh, you know, forty some years ago, when I had a heart attack and left the police department, uh, I discovered I was not uh, good at retiring. <laughs> but uh, yeah. You know, some some people are good at it, some not. So I don't know what uh, the Almighty has for me, but I do know that I need three or four months and uh, to sit there and digest things and to uh, uh, I'm into the Bible every day. But truthfully, I've been into I've been doing more reading of everything and I've been spending less time in the Bible and maybe I've got to spend more time in there because there's so many answers there but uh, you know I will help you any way I can uh, but I do think uh, this is this might be why the Almighty said to contact you about you know I, want, I just wanted to end this this uh, month 
on the broadcast with people I like talking to. <laughs> so selfishly, I am a greedy person. I do want. I used to say well, I'd be happy if I reached seventy-five, and now that I'm approaching eighty here, I, I want to reach a uh, hundred. I'm watching the uh, Japanese station the other night. I'm seeing people 127, and Israeli. They just had their oldest man died at 117. And now, selfishly, I'm saying, you know, like I married a younger woman, so I've got to, she wants to be 100 now, so that means I've got to I'll think about another 25 years. So, But why not me? So who knows what the future is going to be? That's right. That is absolutely right. And what a great woman you've married, John. <laughs> yes, I, I am blessed, and we, we just need some time uh, for ourself, because she's traveled all, you know, for a lot of years, our vacation was going to, you know, when I was directing the World Scholar Games, not the World Scholar Games, but the tennis portion of it, and uh, going to AAU matches, uh, taking kids throughout the country and everything. And not that we didn't enjoy it. I mean, we enjoyed it immensely, and she even with her doing the, 10 and under programs, uh, you know, we need somebody else younger to, to take it over. But uh, truthfully, I always kid the uh, parents and SMG. It's, I'm surprised so many people, did, did you read the small print? And they go, what small print? Well, you know, I'm here because my wife reminds me I can't afford a divorce, but you know you have to stay here when we're <laughs> we have to stay. <laughs> so, but I uh, I truthfully, you know, enjoy those kids so much and everything. But so, wherever you think I can help out, uh, you know, let me know. And uh, and meanwhile, uh, you and I, uh, I think uh, JP is in. Texas now, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to get rid of him. He's playing with his son, so uh, I'm sure he'll be back in Georgia next week. But let me uh, let me get a hold of him and Chuck, and uh, you know I know Chuck would be you know help you, and I will help you get off the ground. But there's uh, you know you'll you'll make you find it easier than me because me and computers just don't get along. So. you know, you should have an easier time of it than I did. But uh, if you remember, when I started this here, I was asking for a younger coach to uh, do this in place of me. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was told that, well, you get it going and somebody will take it over. And that was, what, five and a half years ago? So, Amazing. Well, yep. Scott, we're running out of time. Tell the people how to get, uh, contact you and uh, then we will talk during the week. Very good, John. Um, and thank you, as always, for the invite to be on. And I, I do feel like something very special has started tonight. Um, and I'm looking forward, like I say, to my next chapter together, uh, which will include the broadcast, which is going to be super exciting. And uh, no, John, you're not done. But <laughs> that's okay. We'll have you back. And um, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, the, the best way is to send me an email at scott at scotttennis.com. Scott at scotttennis.com. Okay, well, we're out of time. The time always goes too fast talking with you, Scott. And 
Uh, next week, uh, we'll be talking about characters, so we're going to continue this flow on. Take care, everybody, and I'll talk to you next week, the Almighty willing. Bye-bye.